Step Inside the Fictional Bookshop, an immersive storytelling podcast for book lovers. Explore the first chapter of your new favorite book, from epic adventures to fantastic worlds to cozy characters. This week, the Fictional Bookshop has a copy of Shade of Light, a new book by Kimberly Grimes. As you stroll down the cobblestone street, a chill runs up your spine. You look up to see the dark clouds have moved across the sun. You clutch your red scarf tighter about your neck as you turn a corner, and you're met with the sight of a dimly lit bookshop down a short alley. Amid the scent of fallen leaves and damp earth, you stride toward the door. As it creaks open, you're welcomed by the smell of forgotten stories and new adventures. Shelves upon shelves of books stretch into the dim distance, and the floorboards creak underfoot as you head down the first row of books. You run your fingers along the spines until you find yourself pulling a book off the shelf at the end of an aisle, and a girl's face staring back at you from the cover. With a glance out at the cloudy autumn light, you lean against the bookshelf and open up the book to read. Prologue, General Annika. The second the screaming erupts outside my door, I stand, knocking over my chair and bumping the edge of the table with my hip, one of the pillar candle's tips spilling hot wax onto the map I've been strategizing over. Red wax pools over the borderlines of Phaeton's neighboring country, Harvesgrove, and I can't help but smile at the symbolism. Blood will spill and my rule will expand. Leaving the mess, I tuck my steel dagger into my waistband. With two long strides, I cross the room and grab my sword, which leans against the stone wall beneath the window. Stealing a quick glance outside, the moon hasn't peeked over the Crescent Mountains yet. It's still early. More screams erupt. With haste, I lift the iron latch and swing open my bedchamber door. Out in the hallway, a group of guards races by, armed with swords and daggers. At the end of the hall, Alistair turns the corner, cheeks flushed as he marches toward me. What's going on? I demand. Sorry to disturb you, General Annika, but she's escaped. He holds out a piece of parchment. This was on her bed. I unfold it and silently read the message. I was never yours to keep. More screams fill the halls of the castle. Closing my fist, I crumple the paper into a tight ball. That little heathen. Every muscle in my body tenses with rage, with betrayal. Jaw clenched, I tell Alistair. Find her. She'll be traveling east, toward Harvesgrove country. You'll have to cut her off before she reaches the port. Another group of guards runs by. I want her back in her chamber by midday tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. And Alistair, I call out, stopping him before he turns the corner. If she touches you or any of the soldiers, I pull out my dagger from my waistband. You know what you must do. With a curt nod, Alistair takes the blade and storms off, barking out orders to guards waiting for him at the end of the hall. They follow him, disappearing down the stone stairwell. I stare at the crumpled ball of paper. There's only one person brave enough to go against my orders and teach one of my soldiers to read and write. Celine. That treacherous, ungrateful pain in my ass. Another wave of tormented cries erupts from the grand room below. I toss the note aside, tighten my grip on the hilt of my sword, and head toward the stairs. There's only one way to end the suffering of those afflicted by that little heathen's touch. Chapter 1. Adele. Bessie snorts and I grip the reins tighter, leaning forward as she gallops through the forest. Almost there, girl. You can do it. Yeah. I'm sure she'd prefer to take the road, but it's too risky and going back isn't an option. Not until I get the answers I'm owed. Twigs snap beneath Bessie's pounding hooves. 
poor girl isn't fond of the night, but I'll make it up to her one day. She's an old mare and has never minded the longer journeys when there's no rush. It's the quick getaways she's always struggled with, which is probably why General Annika gave her to me. After hours of riding, the end of the forest comes into view. I pull on the reins, slowing Bessie to a stop. With a gloved hand, I rub her neck before feeding her a few carrots from my bag. The forest opens to a narrow meadow and is the last obstacle before reaching the docks. Being on the outskirts of Port Helve gives me the best chance of staying out of sight and crossing Bowman Strait. I'm almost there. Harve's Grove country is just beyond those waters, as is my freedom. There's no looking back or dwelling on the cost others had to endure for me to get here. Embracing who I am was the only way to escape. The dim light of the half-moon allows me to survey the narrow meadow over to where the boats are tied up along the docks. At this late hour, there isn't supposed to be this many crew members guarding the shipyard, but I count a full detail plus a few extra standing on the main pier. Most of the men are focused on the dark waters, and after a few seconds I see why. A large barge breaks through the fog, drifting up to the main dock. It's carrying a group of Phaeton men surrounding an unmarked freight wagon. They're not wearing their red coats, the standard uniform for a Phaeton soldier, which means whatever they're doing requires anonymity. There's peace between the three countries, but that's because an agreement was made decades ago that no one shall trespass into their neighboring country. And all three countries, Phaeton, Noviska, and Harvesgrove, have abided by this agreement, never crossing borders without permission, though General Annika rarely follows anyone's ruling but her own. After the barge docks, the men work quickly to attach the freight wagon to a pair of horses. At the end of the pier, when the horses cross the threshold onto dry land, they inadvertently jostle the wagon. A deafening shriek echoes up into the night air, accompanied by forceful blows from the inside. The wagon almost tips over, causing all four lanterns, hanging from the front and rear corners, to sway vigorously. Everyone rushes and circles the cargo hold doors, their swords drawn, ready to restrain whatever beast they've captured. There's only one reason an unmarked freight of that size could be coming from either of the two neighboring countries, a reason I'm well familiar with. If it weren't for the piercing shrieks and violent blows coming from inside, I'd be tempted to see if my suspicions are right, if the general has acquired more laborers to mine her precious iron ore. Whatever they've got, it's not worth risking getting caught to find out. Not this time. This time, I escape and finally get answers about why I am the way I am. That, my old friend, I lean forward and remark to Bessie, is the kind of attention we don't need right now, and exactly why we didn't travel the road. Now you understand and forgive me for taking the unbeaten path? Bessie shakes her white mane before dipping her head to nibble on a patch of tall grass. I shift my attention from the freight to the thick fog creeping in over the line of boats. Weighing my options, I disregard the fishing ships and ferries and settle on a modest-sized rowboat far from the main dock. Swinging one leg over the backside of the mare, I slide off the saddle. All I have to do is sneak over to the docks and borrow one of those. The word borrow, a woman's voice cuts me off, implies you'll have to return it. I spin to see a horse and rider emerging from the shadows of the forest. The woman draws back the hood of her cloak, giving me a familiar smile that I've only ever seen through iron bars. My imprisonment at Castle Forge might have been comfortable, but I was never allowed to roam the grounds. Only when the general requested my services for an interrogation or an escort to diplomatic meetings was I permitted to leave my room. Eventually, the general granted me access to a locked stairwell from within my chambers that led to an enclosed outdoor courtyard. It was there, a few years ago, that Celine discovered the courtyard and me in it while hiding from her tutors. Ever since then, she came to keep me company regardless of the two layers of iron fencing surrounding the courtyard. Celine, what are you doing here? Tilting forward, she tisks at me before saying, You were going to leave without saying goodbye. She holds one hand out to me. Reluctantly, I help her off her horse. With her hand in mine, I suddenly don't want to let it go. 
We've been friends for years, yet this is the first time we've been within arm's reach. Silently, I curse to the stars that I'm forced to wear these dreadful gloves. When she's got her footing, I release my grasp and ask, How did you know where to find me? The moonlight shines over her rosy cheeks. I helped you write the note to General Annika, remember? Celine has been teaching me to read and write these past few months, a secret request I made after returning home with the general from a trip up north to Noviska country. I'm far from proficient, but all I need to know are the basics, like how to pronounce a village name or how to address someone in a letter. But I never said where I was going in the note. Bessie nudges my arm, also wanting some attention. I oblige and scratch her neck. Then, looking to Celine, I ask, So, how did you know? After a drink from her water skin, she says, Come now, you rarely mention your past life over there, she gestures toward the water, and I want to believe you have unfinished business or family you wish to see again over in Harpsgrove. But when it comes to these long journeys with the general, like your recent expedition up north, I have other suspicions as to why you want to leave. When I avert my gaze, she continues, Adele, I didn't pry after you returned from Noviska, but I know something happened. I can always tell when you're upset. There's nothing new about my foul mood. Celine tucks the water skin into the satchel hanging from her horse's saddle, then faces me. Loose strands of brown hair have escaped her thick braid. That and her flushed complexion make me wonder how fast she must have ridden to catch me. She's staring at me, waiting for me to give her an answer about what she assumes happened up north. Something did happen up north, but there's no way my dear friend could possibly know what I witnessed. It was pure luck, me being in the right spot at the right time, that I saw someone from my past do something no one else can, sparking an obsessive need for answers. Fine, she says, breaking the silence and crossing her arms over the bodice of her dress. If you won't tell me, then I'm going to make a guess about what I think happened. I'm about to cut her off and tell her to go home when she raises a finger. The general made advances, which of course you didn't consent to. She might be our general, but that doesn't give her the right to- Celine, I shout, needing her to stop before she says something I don't want to hear. Out of the corner of my eye, I notice one of the soldiers shift his attention from the freight wagon to the open field. I quickly lead Celine closer to the tree line, out of sight of the Phaeton soldiers. It's nothing like that. Are you sure? She asks. I've always had my suspicions that the general keeps you around for more than, she points to my hands, your special set of skills. I can't help but crack a smile. Jealous? It's a playful taunt, which is rare for me. The lively girl I was before my time in Phaeton is long gone. Yet whenever I'm around Celine, she tends to bring out the old me. Oh, please, it's not me who's jealous. I think it's that crazy woman who has an entire army at her command that's jealous of what we have. We both know the general is aware of our friendship and the secret rendezvous in the courtyard, but she's never spoken of it to either of us, and we prefer it that way. Celine moves closer, her expression softening. Just tell me why you're leaving. What happened in Noviska that got you so riled up? I mean, I know you've always wanted to leave, but not like this, not with so many left to suffer. I... My voice cracks, and I almost divulge the truth I've kept from her all these years. Celine knows there's something special about my touch and that I'm the infamous Phaeton interrogator. Only a few people know the interrogator's true identity, but she doesn't know everything. Like that I'm broken, a cursed soul that can't be trusted, and how I've only entertained her kindness and friendship because of the courtyard's iron barriers between us, keeping her safe from my touch. Please, Adele, tell me what weighs on your mind. Maybe I can help. This is not the time or place to divulge the secrets I've kept from her, and I wish I could say that I escaped to try and make a better life with her in it, but I didn't. What kind of happiness could a tormentor with a cursed soul offer? Since I cannot give her what she asks for, I offer up a piece of the truth about why I need to leave. The general never touched me. She knows better. I fear no one, yet whenever Celine is nearby, my insides knot up. I'm too afraid I might accidentally cause her pain.
Go on, she says softly, gaze locked onto mine. While in Novisca, I saw someone from my past, someone I thought was lost to me forever, and she did something that... I stop mid-sentence. I'm crossing into territory that I don't want Celine to be part of. I hold up my gloved hands, turning them over. After a moment, I drop them to my sides and continue. This woman may know more about who I am. I hesitate to say my next words, and eventually they slip out as a whisper. Or what I am. Celine clasps her bare hands over my gloved ones. I try to pull away, but she tightens her hold. There's nothing but a thin layer of leather protecting her from all the horrible things I could do to her. But I would never. She's the last person in this entire messed up world that I'd hurt. Squeezing my hands, she forces me to look into her eyes. You're not a what, do you hear me? And why didn't you tell me sooner about this person from your past? I reel in the urge to shove her to the ground, to tell her that her benevolence will get her killed one of these days. Instead, I say with a clenched jaw, This is not your burden, it's mine. Slipping my hands free from her as I step away, bumping into Bessie. And you can't be here. I don't know how long I've got until the general realizes I've escaped. Oh, she knows. You left quite the mess. That's why I'm here, to warn you. I recall the trail of castle guards I subdued in my path to the stables. With one touch, I reached deep into their minds, seeking out the thing they feared most, and then used that fear to trap them in a mental prison. There was nothing I could do to silence their screams or wails. The only way would be to release them, and that wasn't happening, not without the risk of being caught. I left them to the mercy of General Annika, who knew exactly what needed to be done to free their tormented souls. If you're going to keep monsters locked up in your home, then you better be prepared to handle the consequences when they break free. At some point in my life, I must have been cursed. It's the only reasonable explanation. But why? And how? Crossing Bowman Strait and traveling to my childhood village is how I will get the answers I'm owed. It's the only way I can move forward. Celine shakes my arm. Adele, did you hear me? Alistair is en route. Bloody hell, I mutter. I guess I could have been a bit more discreet in my escape. You think? Celine answers, one brow raised. I knew the general would send soldiers after me. She always does. But never has she sent her lapdog to retrieve me. Risky endeavor on her part. I stare into Celine's eyes for a long moment, trying to gauge the danger I've put her in. For the last eight years, I've shut out everyone and everything. Attachments or emotions were a luxury I abandoned the moment I agreed to be General Annika's secret interrogator. The only two souls I ever allowed myself to feel anything for are here with me now, Celine and Bessie. Adele, what's going on in that head of yours? I know that look all too well. How much time do I have? I need to get to the docks. Celine tilts her head to the night sky and then along the main road. Not much. Alistair is the fastest rider in Phaeton, and he's got half the general's army with him. Only half? I can't help but jest. For a split second, I imagine what the battle might look like and feel sorry for all the fallen soldiers that would suffer in my victory. She slaps my arm. It's no time to be joking. You know the lengths the general will go to when it comes to you. I flinch from her sudden contact, but focus quickly on my thoughts. This isn't the time to be dwelling on insecurities like boundaries, because she's right. There's an urgency to the situation. Yes, yes, but you need to go, I say, pointing to the forest. I don't want Alistair or any of the soldiers seeing you here. I can help, she insists. No, you can't. This isn't a time to be throwing around your noble connections. Your uncle may be one of the most powerful Phaeton lords, but even he won't be able to save you from General Annika's wrath if you're caught, and I can't lose my words trail off. She closes the space between us and whispers, You'll never lose me. Her eyes lock onto mine. You'll always be my dearest and closest friend. 
I stumble backward along the uneven ground, turn away from her, and unstrap my quiver from Bessie's saddle. Celine is of noble blood. Her place is with the lords and others from noble bloodlines. She would never be permitted to befriend or be seen with someone like me, someone with evil coursing through their veins. She's quiet, and it's a first. Normally, she rebuts everything without losing a breath between retorts. Unbuckling my bag from the saddle, I tell her, You're the only friend who means anything to me. I shoulder my bag, then unlatch my bow from the saddle. Then, after I've whispered my goodbyes to Bessie, I face Celine. She lunges forward, wrapping her arms around my neck. My entire body goes rigid. You mean the world to me, too. Our proximity has me nervous, and I'm about to push away when she pulls me in closer. Wavy dark hair brushes against my face, smelling like rose petals and lavender. I wish I could come with you. I wish you could, too. A few men holler something from the road and we break apart. The soldiers have clustered by the rear of the freight wagon, swords drawn again. When I realized their outburst wasn't because of us, I looked to Celine, who was watching the road. Every part of my body urges me to bring her with me, to protect her, but I can't. I don't know what awaits across the straight and Harvesgrove country. I loop my quiver's leather strap over my head and tell her with a stern tone, You need to go. No more games and no more conversations. She needs to leave before that brute Alistair finds her. Returning her attention to me, she hesitantly nods. Then, before I can react, she leans in and plants a soft kiss on my cheek. We are family, Adele. Sisters for life. I expect a barrage of visions or memories to flash in my mind, but nothing happens. I've never let anyone touch me before, always assuming my entire body has the ability to create that bridge of invasion, but nothing happens. Celine plucks a narrow hairpin from within her braid. With one finger, she rubs the three small rubies affixed to the top. Then, after wiping her damp cheek, she gently sticks the hairpin into my braid. I want you to borrow this. Borrowing would imply, I whisper, but she cuts me off. I know what it implies. More tears fall. I can't bring myself to express the heartfelt words I want to say, that her declaration of sisterhood means the world to me. Instead, I offer her a weak smile, hoping it provides enough reassurance. I hand her Bessie's reins and tell her, I will come back for both of you. The second she takes my horse, I turn and run, crouching low as I go. There's a loud commotion on the road by the freight wagon, and the pier workers posted at the entrance of the main dock rush to assist. Not wasting the distraction the stars have bestowed, I hurry and climb into one of the rowboats, untie its rope from the post, and let the gentle current carry me away from Phaeton. I'm one step closer to getting the answers owed to me, even if it means using certain methods of persuasion on people I once called family. You close the book, Shade of Light, by Kimberly Grimes, and tuck it under your arm. You finally notice the shopkeeper, who is up on a ladder at the front of the store, arranging heavy leather tomes on a high shelf. They wave to you distractedly, so you leave some money on the counter by the till, where you notice a dark gray cat lounging beside the front window. Book tucked under your arm, you tighten your scarf around your neck before heading back out into the street. As you head for the corner, you glance back at the weathered wooden sign above the shop, which reads fictional bookshop. This has been Fictional Bookshop, a podcast by Liz Delton. For more about Liz, visit lizdelton.com. Shade of Light, copyright Kimberly Grimes, read with the author's permission. For more about the author, visit kimberlygrimes.com. For more visits to the fictional bookshop, give us a follow and come back anytime to explore a new book. Next week, come back for Lord of the Hollow Court.
by C.K. Began.